up, all you disciple makers out there? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. Today, we're talking about intentionally building a team of disciple makers and the challenges and successes that can come along with that. As a leader, how are you currently investing your time and energy? Are you prioritizing people over tasks? That's really hard to do, by the way. Jim Putman, Joel Owen, Bob Reed, and Mark Moose Bright talked with us about the essential steps as a coach, I'm using air quotes here, when we're equipping and raising up disciples of Jesus with purpose and with vision. Let's let these gentlemen from the Relational Discipleship Network encourage us in this episode today. Enjoy. Hey, great to see you guys again this morning. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming back. And uh, Mark, thanks for having pins that I haven't seen since middle school. Come on. It's fantastic, man. I love that. So, uh, and we are going to be talking about coaching to win this morning and talk about uh, what it means to be an intentional disciple maker in your church. Maybe from a lead perspective, maybe like we talked about last night, somebody asked questions about what if you're a lay person, how do you lead out in these kinds of things? And so, uh, as we think about this, we talk about that word coaching. And I grew up playing sports, played basketball through high school and into college. And, uh, and that was just part of the element was you were trying to coach to win. You, you, our coaches wanted to win. And by the time you get to college and into professional levels, they're coaching for their jobs, right? Like it's if you don't win, you lose your job. And so now I'm in a position where I'm coaching my kids in sports. And it's a totally different ballgame because my kids are not super athletes. And so we're not playing school ball. We're playing like rec ball. And I've got these guys that have never played sports before who are on my basketball team and I'm coaching them. And the objective now, I'll tell my wife, is not so much to win, but I want them to have a great experience. Like I just, they're never going to be on the big team. They're never going to make it to the NBA. Like I just want them to have a great experience and enjoy the game. But when we take that same thought and we put it to the church, we don't have a choice of to just say, well, I just kind of want everybody to have a good experience. Uh, I just hope everybody's comfortable. Like we want to win and then we have to define what winning looks like. And for Jesus to be able to say, when we think about coming into this realm of making disciples who make disciples, we have to understand that the church, when we think about what Jesus did, he wasn't out to just grow huge churches. The win, as we define it, is not always necessarily saying, well, let's have a bigger church or let's have more people or let's have more organizations that we spin off. Jesus was intentional about saying winning looks like reproducing myself into the life of others. So that they can reproduce themselves into the life of others. And so Jesus becomes this kind of coach where he's going, I want to invest in a few who are going to invest in the next generation. And I'm going to pour my life into a few. And so Jesus, every time, if you notice this in the Gospels, when the crowds get big around Jesus, he does crazy things, right? The crowds will get big and he'll go, well, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross and die. And they'll be like, well, I'm, I'm checking out for that conversation, right? Then the next time the crowds get big again, Jesus looks around and goes, if you want to be my disciple, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are like, yeah, I'm out. I'm done. Like, that's not going to be part of the conversation. Let's go a different direction. What are you talking about, right? Every time things get big for Jesus, and I'm not saying that having a big church is wrong. I'm not saying that growing things is wrong. But what Jesus did was he looked at the crowds and he went, I want to invest in the few. Because investing in the few who can invest in a few who will invest in a few, ultimately you'll get big. Right? But it's not about one church getting huge. It's about a global movement. And the church has thrived and succeeded all throughout history because Jesus coached and invested a few. And so those guys then turned around and gave their life up to others. So when we think about it, Jesus had his inner circle. He had his three. Uh, but even when the, we get to the New Testament 
And Pentecost comes. And Peter preaches to the crowds. And 3,000 people become followers of Christ. Peter doesn't go, awesome, let's start a church here and plant a mega church. What, is, what do they start doing? The Bible says that they gathered in the temple courts. They listened to the apostles. And then they broke off and they went to homes. And they gave, each other, gave to each other the breaking of bread and prayer and fellowship with one another in homes. Like the disciples, the apostles, they invested in a few who would invest in a few. And so they start this movement that's making disciples who know how to make disciples. And it's all relational. It's all very intentional. It's not about the disciples never went, well, let's just plant one big mega church and let's just have this thing. Again, mega church is not wrong, bad. Not, but they're going, we need to give this away to other people. We want to make sure that other people have the opportunity to invest in those who are coming behind them. And so what we do in our church, we'll coach people. And what, what I think about for me is that I can't be the only disciple maker in my church. I've got to disciple others who are going to make disciples. So as the lead coach in my church, I want to develop other coaches. And as I invest in coaches, they're going to invest in our leaders. And then the leaders are going to invest in a few. And in their small groups and their home environments, right? And so everything that we do is just broken down to get smaller and smaller and smaller. As I want to coach, I'm not trying to... to to grab tons and tons of people and bring them around me, I'm trying to bring around the faithful few that I'm going to be able to invest in and say, this is how I'm going to reproduce myself in you so that you can then go and do the things that Jesus has taught me. And as we replicate that, we start to invest in the coaching strategy who will invest in, in the leaders, who will invest in the homes, who will then invest in smaller discipling relationships. But it just keeps getting smaller. And as it gets smaller, guess what happens? It grows. Because your disciples, who you're coaching up, and your leaders who you're coaching up, start reaching other people, and then they bring them in. Then you've got to multiply groups. Then you've got to branch groups. Then you've got to make more space for more people. So the strategy of getting smaller actually helps you in the long run to get bigger because you're doing these things that Jesus did to invest himself in the few and to help others get to that place. And so when you think about the win, what are you looking for? You're coaching your leaders to think small and invest heavily in a few so there's intentionality behind it. And it's all about coaching people who will reproduce the things that Jesus has done in them so that we can see this movement continue to go on. If it's all about you and your giftings and your talent and you're the only one who can do it, guess what happens? When you leave, the void is huge. But if you've invested yourself in a few who know how to do what you're doing and they teach others to do those things, then you're going to be able to replicate that and perpetuate it over time. So that's what we want to do. We want to think about what does it mean to win and how do we do that? How do we coach people toward that? And winning to us looks like making disciples who can make disciples. It's investing in the few. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller so that growth is possible. Right? Yeah, that's so good. Let me, let me just say a couple of things. Um, part of what we have to do, we said this last night, uh, is you have to define the win and you have to define it so that everybody understands what we're talking about. I, I use the analogy, if I call it play in the huddle, but nobody has the same playbook, the same language. It's like uh, uh, the Tower of Babel. You can have all the talent in the world, change the language. You can't get things done at the line of squ scrimmage. You remember that? So we define what a disciple is. We define how that happens um, uh, in relationship, but it's intentional relationship. So the key is always the leadership. What, what the difference, I'm not for... Life groups, small groups. I'm not for that. I'm for discipleship in small groups. Uh, there is a big difference between small groups and discipleship in small groups, and it comes down to the intentionality of the leader. 
When, and, and, and the truth is, it comes down to um, whether or not you see yourself as a player or a coach. A player or a coach. And I mean at every level. If you're a youth minister, if you're a worship minister, we live in a culture that makes whoever is in charge, uh, it's kind of the tip of the spear. I'm going to be and everything else works around me so that I can be the, the point guy. Uh, and together as a team, we're going to do whatever we're going to do. But a coaching mindset looks like this. We're at the base. Winning is those people on the front line that go wherever they work, live, and play. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, I've been both a college coach and a high school coach. A college coach goes around the country looking for someone to develop uh, further, but they're already good enough to win state championships, high school, national, freestyle championships. You're trying to get five-star recruits so that you can have a, a, a winning team, already developed. A high school coach, unless you're going to a private school, a high school coach cannot recruit outside of their own school district. Can't do it. It's illegal. Um, your kids have to be in your school district. And so um, I've been in the place where I, I took over a team that hadn't won a duel in 10 years, and they had uh, no little kids program, no middle school pro program, so everybody's starting as a freshman. So my freshman our first-year wrestlers wrestling uh, teams that have had little kids programs and been wrestling for seven or eight years. How well does that go? Right? If you're going to win, you got to start a little kids program. you got to develop players from within. You don't get to recruit. You've got to start with what you got. you got to have a good high school program. You start with what you got. Freshman, the, the best you got is a four-year wrestler. Wrestling people that have been wrestling for ten years. You start with what you've got, and you got to go back, and you got to build the system from the bottom up, and it takes time. You know, but if you start a little kids program, how many years is it until you actually get your first freshman who's wrestled seven years? You see what I'm saying? You have to start a program. Your goal is to take what you already uh, have in the school district rather than going all over the country recruiting. Most pastors in America, most churches in America, are college coaches. They're going to Bible colleges or taking them from other churches, rather than developing the people right in front of them from the bottom up. It's a completely different mindset. So I have 163 staff. Three of them have Bible college degrees. The rest of them got saved or started in a small group, being in a small group. They then became an apprentice in a small group, then they led a small group, they then branched a small group. They then started coaching some, some other small group leaders. And then they, not everybody's called to full-time ministry. Then there was like, man, I maybe I'm supposed, and they were, now I'm going, okay. And I don't have to take a resume that, that, that they put together, putting what they can do with, Choosing the people on the resume that's there, avoiding the things that they can. I know who they are. They've been vetted in the system. Our elders, I know they believe in what we do and care about what we do, believe what we do. There are elders. You don't get to be an elder unless you came up through this system. So 
You know our theology. You know what we're about. If ever something ever happened to me, we've got a list of people that we've raised up at every level that can take my role. And I'm not going, hey, we better go find a pastor with a vision. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's as though we don't have a vision in our church. No, you'd have to be able to, first of all, we're probably going to hire from within, and I'd have like 10 candidates. But we're not looking for a vision. It's Jesus' vision, and we're living out that vision, and you would never even be considered unless you're a a practitioner of disciple-making. You can actually do what you're asking other people to do. And so the key to coaching is always understanding what you are. There is nothing worse, nothing worse than a player in a coach's position. In Church of the Team Sport, I wrote about, uh, I got recruited uh, as an All-American to go to a different school for my senior year. And it was a, it, I was recruited there in part because I wanted to go to the Olympics at some point, and the guy that was the assistant coach was wrestling for the Olympic team. And one of the keys to wrestling is who you wrestle with in the wrestling room, the competition level. And so I'm going there because he's an Olympic caliber wrestler and I'm going to get to wrestle with an Olympic caliber wrestler my senior year. And he's going to be my coach and he's going to encourage me. And, oh man, I'm going to encourage you. We're going to do this together. I get there and I'm not there two weeks and I find out I'm not there for him to coach me to be great. I'm there to help him make the Olympic team. When I beat him, it isn't great job. Man, that was so awesome. It's like, I can't believe I lost to you. I can't believe, you see the difference? He was a player in a coach's role. I was competition for him. Whereas if you're a coach, you get, man, that was awesome. Great job. You are learning that, man, you are, you know, it's a completely, there's not a, a ceiling, this is my role. A coach is success is on how many he raises up who can do it as well or better than them. When I was a high school coach, when I had a state champion or a national champion, and he'd actually take me down in the room, I was like, I succeeded. Not, I can't believe I like, you see the difference? That's my job. You can't beat me. Too many pastors are, uh, uh, that's their role. It's competition, and they don't understand what success is. Secondly, as a coach, you can't get good at anything if you don't get the opportunity to fail and grow and be coached. And part of your job, if you're going to raise up people, is giving them a place to play. They have to have a place to play. And it's not sit in the crowd as a spectator. So as a leader, you are developing places for people to play. Every position in the youth ministry, I'm giving you a place to play with coaching. So that out of the overflow of what we have, I, I tell my worship guy, if you're up there on stage every week, you get an F, no matter how good your music is. You're not up there to just play. You're up there to build a team of great players, of great singers, of great people that can worship. If you're sitting in the back worshiping with your wife, and, and there's somebody up there that does it well, you don't lose your job. I don't go, wow, they play better than you. You, get, you lose your job. I go, great job. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so it's a coaching mindset. And so when, when you're coaching people and you're developing people, you, then you start to celebrate the wins. But not, not the, the, when somebody gets baptized in our church, that's great. We have baptisms every weekend. I think we had 12 last week, 19 the week before. 
It's not, it, it, but we don't celebrate. We still, we, we baptize him on Sunday morning, but we celebrate more when the person didn't hear a sermon and got saved, but when the home group leader, I mean, we got the whole crowd up there. This guy shared what you celebrate people aspire to. This is discipleship. Look what is happening here. This guy raised up a leader. This, and pretty soon when you're celebrating this, you're saying people can do it. Uh, when, you, when somebody's new preaching, and it, it sounds really great to get up and preach, they think they want to do it, and then they, I've had them stand up and freeze completely. So we team teach with them. With them, and we've had them, you know. And I will get up and go, "Hey, this is uh, this is uh, this is this guy's first time ever preaching. Let's give him a hand for being up here. Isn't that awesome? We're the kind of church that raises people up, you know. And you're changing the mindset. I'm there to get from the best players to this is what we value: raising people up to make disciples to share their faith. It's a completely different mindset. Is this making sense to you? And so now, I, I love education. I don't, it's not that I don't want people to be Bible college trained, but I just don't think Bible college is the, is the only way to educate people. I, I want people, I want to educate people on the ground as they're serving and they're ministering. We'll bring education alongside them rather than creating a system where they have to leave their job, their family, and go somewhere else to, you know. I want them to learn and grow on the field with training, make mistakes, have to go deeper, have to answer questions, so that we're building them up. And then when somebody comes and offers them twice the amount of money, they're like, oh, I can't leave my family. Well, you get to bring your family with you. No, I mean my family. This is my family. I got saved here. It ain't about the money for me. It's not a job. You understand what I'm saying? I may be called somewhere else, but that's going to hurt. That's not going to be easy because I grew up here. These are my friends. These are. It's not just as simple as you offer me a stepping stone to a job to be a senior pastor. I love these people here. It's a family. Is this making sense this morning? And so um, uh, it's, a, it's a change in the mindset of who you are and what you do. And by the way, this is all biblical. It's all biblical. Ephesians 4. What are the pastors, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, what are they supposed to do? To equip the saints for works of service. When is, winning is Paul raising up Timothy and Titus and Luke and, you know, Barnabas raising up Paul when no one would talk to him. Barnabas goes and gets him, you know, uh, validates him, encourages him, raising up people that then will go. But it, here's the advantages of this. We said last night that this is hard and it's painful at times. It is, but it's also amazingly rewarding. Amazing. This is not just the downside. I'll just tell you this. When I'm gone right now and somebody's in the hospital and their life group leaders there, their coaches there, their families there, nobody goes, the pastor didn't come and visit me at church, I'm mad. When, when, uh, when the home group leader does the wedding, see, when you have a team of people doing these things, it's a we. My job isn't to pastor everyone, I can't. It's to make sure they're pastored. How is that gonna happen? If we have a community that shepherds and pastors each other, you know, uh, uh, Larry Krabs passed away once said, 
that 90% of the people he deals with could have been helped by a good friend, but they didn't have one, so they'll pay 150 bucks an hour. You catch things in life, little things at a time, and they don't get so big that they blow sky high. Right? And, and you're creating an environment where they're praying for each other, ministering to each other. People are playing. People are being raised up. And now you've got something that it overflows into the communities around them. And it's not bound by the church and the personality of the leader or the staff. It's early. I mean, this is three hours early than for me. It's 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> so that's, that's all you get right now. So... <laughs> All right, so I'm going to have the guys come up and join us on the panel. I'm going to ask them a couple questions, uh, one being, like, how do you identify and start looking around and seeing who has got to work at, and then what do you do to invite them into the process? So I'm going to hand you guys this mic down the line. So the question is going to be, as leaders, how do you spot and see and look around and assess? First, you've got to be intentional about doing that, right? But, but what is your next step in trying to discern and invite people into the process? Uh, yeah, just a real short answer. I look at Acts 1, right? You look for those who are doing it, right? You look for those who are doing it, and then you invest in them, right? And, you, you know, that classic line, once you see someone that is there that's doing it, you invite them in to, to watch you do it and invite them everywhere. And that uh, adage uh, we say all the time, don't do ministry alone. And it fits perfectly in there. And then you take a season where you watch them do it. And then you never totally divorce yourself from that. You stay in relationship. It becomes more and more distance as they branch out. And eventually one of the proudest moments as a leader is to watch a leader lead somebody else, a disciple to make a disciple. Go there. Yeah. So many pastors are so busy playing, they don't have their head up looking to see what's happening around them. So even in the in Sunday morning, you know, you could be in your back working on your sermon, or you could be in the foyer looking for who's there watching what's happening, scanning all the time, scanning and teaching people to have their head up. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um. Yeah, so we, we'll have conversations with people. We, we say it's uh, the I see in you conversation. Things that people don't see in themselves. And so we're all, like Jim said, we're always keeping our heads up, looking around who, who is actively working in some things. Who do we see making strides as a disciple? Who's investing in home group environments who's meeting with people on the outside and going, hey, I see something in you that you may not even see in yourself, and I'm going to call you out to something even deeper, that I want you to be a part of something that, uh, that maybe you've never even considered before. And so we'll put people in place who are going to say the first step is intentionally, have you been discipled? Who's pouring into you? And then if you've already been through that process, then we want to put you in a role where you're being coached so that you know how to do that. We never just go, hey, here's a place, go play, go do it, and good luck. We're going to have intentional training for people. We're going to have coaching involved with people. And we're going to stay invested with them as they are doing it so that they know that they've got these helpful resources behind them. So sometimes it's going, hey, I'm going to do it. Can you watch me do it? And, and then we're going to talk about it. And then the next step is going to be, you're going to do it with me. And then we're going to talk about it. And then the next step is going to be, I'm going to release you to go and do it. And I'm going to watch you do it. And then we're going to get together and talk about it. And then eventually I'm just going to release you to go and do it because you're ready. You're going to go and, and just have your opportunity, right? And so it's continually just being able to look around, see who's there, but don't just go, you look really confident. You're a great leader in business or you're a great leader in school or you're a great leader. So I'm just going to say, you're probably a great leader in the church too. Go. 
like coach them through a process and have a, a channel lined up so you know how you're trying to uh, to to equip them to be able to eventually be released and be on their own. Yeah. Uh, probably we look for some of the same characteristics. I'm sure that some of you do. Uh, faithful, available, teachable. Uh, we want to see if they're hungry or not. I mean, those are all things. Joel just mentioned that. You know, a lot of times in churches, we uh, this is what I had experienced early on. If you were successful in business, all of a sudden you got you got a seat at the elder table. Uh, by the way, that's a horrible uh, way to put elders uh, in at your church. Uh, but I would say that, uh, like Jim was saying, keep your head up. You know, in dribbling a basketball, if you have your head down, you can't see everything that's going on around you. To be able to kind of see what's going on in front of you. Uh, and to see the people that are actively involved, what's their attitudes like when they do it, how do they handle conflict, uh, how do they handle disappointment, being able to walk through all that. So we, we look for all those things. Uh, you know, we, uh, the high majority, I'd say probably 90% of our staff uh, has been hired from within, just lay people that were discipled who then started leading. Jim was kind of mentioning it, same as his church. Uh, we've done the same. So we rarely ever have to go outside uh, of our walls that we look for people that are already doing it and then eventually uh, they leave whatever they're doing and, and come on staff. So that's been our way. <coughs> All right, one more question and we'll, we'll kick it up to you guys. So in looking and spotting and seeing who God's working in, there could be the temptation to see them as a tool or a cog or a progression to get to a certain end. How, how do you fight that tension? Where, where do you find that uh, personal investment versus kingdom one? Kingdom win. So instead of seeing this as the means to an end, you know, how do you how do you fight that tension? Yeah, you know, so we've trained our staff like people are there not to be used; uh, they're to be utilized. And so we we really talk about how do we invest and care well for people. Our our end game isn't to determine where the, what they're doing as much as it is. We just want to walk alongside of them. It's like the Holy Spirit's job to really make clear what what they're what we do know everybody's been called to be a disciple maker and so we're walking alongside of them as they 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 navigate whatever things are in front of them uh to the to whatever it is that god has for them so it's if if it links up you know it syncs up with what you know we see and potentially see because i've had people that i thought would be a, a, amazing um on staff and and eventually they said, you know what, I really feel like I'm called to stay in the workplace, but still walk this out. And they were absolutely right. Because the end goal isn't staff. <laughs> uh, the end goal is to be a disciple maker and be influential with the platform or the place that God has placed you. And so, uh, so we just really try to invest deeply to help people be successful where God has placed them versus, hey, we've got a great vision for your life. Why don't you do what we think? So. Yeah, so I, I think for us, we look at some things and say, well, when you win, I win. Like it's a team event, right? So back in, if you're not a sports illustration person, I'm sorry. This is our whole thing is like connected to sports. So if sports ball is not your thing, find your own thing, right? So let's take it to parenting even, right? So I want my kids, I don't want my kids to fail. I'm going to help them do everything they can to succeed. I'm not going to put them in situations. I want to stretch them. I want to push them to things, but I'm not just going to throw them out there to the sharks to go do something that they're not capable of doing. I'm going to walk with them through it. Right, the same thing in coaching or, or leading your, your staff or your, your ministry teams or whatever. You're not just going to throw somebody to the wolves and go, well, good luck. And if you fail, it's on you. It's not on me. Just it becomes a reflection of you. 
and your leadership and your coaching. Right? So you want them to succeed. You want to walk with them through the hard things and, and give them incremental steps to succeed and grow their ability so they have confidence. They can do more the next time. They can continue to take steps forward. And so their individual success is a team success. Uh, it, you know, if you've got somebody on, on, a, on a team that's not pulling their own weight, the whole team suffers. It's not just the player that suffers. The whole team is going to suffer. And so we want to coach people up to, to know what it looks like to walk in their passions, in their giftings, in their talents, and to have people behind them who are helping them along so that they can succeed and the whole, the whole organization, the whole team can succeed. Um, I'll just repeat that. I'm just real simple. Uh, you have to keep, uh, keep kingdom-minded, understand uh, disciple-making and leadership development uh, do overlap, but they're not the same thing. Uh, Bob said it earlier. Everybody is called to be a disciple who makes disciples. And that is a kingdom uh, work, uh, hard, or heart work. Uh, and then you have to develop your leaders for your programming and those things. And you know, for our staff, I, I, we're very, very clear with that. You know, we want everybody to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples of Jesus. And then we look and identify, equip, and release leaders. Yeah, I would say one one thing that goes uh, that is absolutely essential if you're going to create a coaching mindset, you have to be able to have hard conversations in a loving way. Um, I can love you and be for you, and yes, you're a disciple maker, but if you're becoming a player who's running yourself and your family to death, then I, I cannot have you living that way for you or for your team. You're not more important than the people that you lead. You're as important. And so it isn't you can do it or you can't. That's how most people will do it. They'll go, you can do it. Go ahead until you fail, and then you can't do it. No, there are all kinds of coaching conversations you have to be able to have, which is why one of the things that we value is you're going to give it your best shot and you're going to be coachable. If me coaching you, somehow your performance is your value and you can't hear it without getting defensive or hurt or whatever, I'm not putting you in that position. I'm bringing you on the team because I see something you could be. Your attitude and how you deal with coaching will determine whether you accomplish that here. So when I put you out there, I'm going to encourage you. This is what you did well. This is, this is how, that was awesome. Here's what I would change, and this is what needs to change. And if you can't have those kind of conversations, and you can't hear those kind of conversations, you won't make it on our team. And I model that. I have a teaching team where I do a trial a message, and they debrief that message. So if you're coming on my uh, leadership team, I have about, uh, we have four campuses. I probably have 12 guys who, who can preach. When you're preaching, you go through this process, you have a trial, then after the first service, there's a debrief afterwards, and they do it with me. So if they do that with me, you know I've set the tone where this is how it works. There's what you thought you said, and there's what you said. Right? And we're going to talk about that. Uh, you know, and at every level, we care about it. We think we're proud of you, but that means you're going to be coached, and I'm going to share stuff with you. And then I'm even going to ask you things. Hey, how can I, is, is there something about my coaching that's been hard for you? I'm, it, 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 a culture where we get to speak the truth and love to each other has to be created. So trying your best and failing is not the problem. 
That's a, that's a success. Trying your best, failing, and not being willing to be coached or adjusted or changed, that means you won't be on the leadership team. Does that make sense to you? And then over time, you're, you were coached, you were led, you were invited to play, and now that happened in your life, and now that's the kind of coach you become. So first thing, I, in my staff, I have layers, I have executive team, I have ministry heads, I have staff members, I have assistants, I have all that. If I have somebody that wants to write somebody up organizationally or fire somebody, there's going to be some questions first. Uh, there are certain things that will get you right, right, written up and fired. Let's say you uh, are inappropriate sexually. You're fired. Um, that's very clear. But you're having a problem communicating and you have a struggle with somebody and now you want to write them up. We are brothers and sisters in Christ before we're an organization. You don't start with a write-up as though this is an organization. You go to them and say, hey, as a brother or a sister... We're just not getting along, and we just not see eye to how do we do this as brothers and sisters? I'm, my heart's hurt, your heart's hurt. Let's talk about Christianity first. Matthew 18, brothers and sisters talking about. If it then moves beyond that, then I'm going to bring somebody with me, and we're going to talk about brothers and sisters. But it, at that point, it may be a write-up if we can't work it out. So there is the organizational HR part of this that you have to do if you're a 501c3, but it is not going to set the tone. For what we do. Is that making sense to you? So you acknowledge that, you work through it, but you're having real conversations. If they're if somebody's gossiping or upset with somebody, my first question is going to be, have you told them? Do they know that? You have three hours. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you and go, did you have the conversation? And and, and I'm gonna ask you a second question. You were pretty amped up. If I go to that person and go, how to go with your conversation? And they go, oh, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't any big deal. Then I'm going to know you didn't share your real heart about the issue. You downplayed it. And they're not going to think it's a big deal. And they're not going to take it that seriously. I'm probably going to be right back here again. Doing what the Bible says, being what you're called to be, is more important than doing what you're doing. And we are Christians first, and you don't step out of Christianity to be an organization. And so resolving conflict, working through things every step of the way, allowing your people. It's you're not the boss, so they can't tell you what tell you tell you they're struggling. What, what is that? You're so insecure you can't take somebody sharing something with you as a brother or sister? I, I may be the leader, but I got people who are more mature than I am in specific aspects of their life. I got people that have been parents a lot longer, been grandparents longer, have learned more. There is a spirit of humility where we do it together. Now, do I have to put on the leadership hat? I've heard you. That doesn't mean I necessarily agree. But I, I, I've heard you, and I've taken that into consideration. I've got some wise counsel uh, you know, to, to, to really work through what you believe and what I believe in. Is that right? Being Doing the right thing is more important than me being right. We're going to do this as a team, but then i got to make a decision. And you, I heard you, and you have to be able to accept that. You've got to have conversations. Does that make sense to you? And uh, that's not easy. None of this is easy. And sometimes people you put in the game betray you, turn Absalom on you. It happens. And then you can go, well, I'm not doing this anymore. Or you can go, no, it happens. We're people. Happened to Jesus. 
It happens to all of us. And we get focused on the one that did that and not on all the other benefits we have from everybody else and we get sucked right into that. And that's when we gotta be open and honest and go to a counselor. My counselor's on my speed dial, right? And I got friends that I, I, I can work through this with that remind me of all the successes and the good things but it, and what does God want you to do no matter what. And, but being a Christian is a lot harder than doing a job. But that's what it takes to create a culture where you're raising up people. All right, we're going to have some guys walking around with mics and uh, thank you guys questions. But I want to tell you a story real quick. Uh, I moved about a year ago from uh, Tennessee back to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where we're from. And my 20-year-old uh, daughter was one of the four kids moving back with us. My other kids are in jobs and, and college. And I noticed uh, Sasha's my really soft-hearted, sweet daughter that our relationship had started to drift some. And I didn't like some of the interactions that we were having. And it was difficult. But I knew in that moment with the distraction of the move and all the things that are going on, that I was on debt equity level zero, like relational equity level zero with her. I had not paid attention with her. I had not engaged with her. I had not talked with her. I had not spent time with her. I had not made her a priority because of all the other stuff that was going on. And so as much as I wanted to resolve and fix the issue that was between us, I slowed everything down and I made a lot of intentional time to go visit with her and go drive with her and talk with her and go to dinner with her long before I got to the point of saying, hey, Sash, this is a, this is a problem, this is an issue. And as I invested in, and built our relationship back and just loved her well, she actually opened the door for us to be able to have that conversation. And so just as a leader, I want you guys to be thinking about what's your relational equity that you have with people? Have you loved them well? Have you poured into them? Do they know that? Because if you reach that moment of challenge and you're on empty, you're going to overdraw. And if you overdraw, your chances of then being able to push them more later greatly diminished. You can recover from that. But if you start developing a pattern of that, you will lose that relational equity. You will lose that position of being able to speak and challenge them in their lives. All right, guys with mics, if you guys have come around, so we talked about this yesterday. Question, answer. <laughs> Not the other way around. You guys would be amazed when we see at some of these events. But if you guys will do question and answer and then avoid the temptation to read us your resume along the way, that would be awesome. How do you guys deal with a John Mark? How do you deal with someone who you start into the process and they flake out? You mean when? How often? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice idea until they're in it and the war's on, right? And you coach them through it, and sometimes they take a step back. And, and, and just because they're not on the staff doesn't mean they don't not valuable, and it doesn't mean forever. Uh, one thing that I really learned from that story, and it's played a big part in my life, is that just because a person has failed doesn't make them a failure. That's right. And a lot of people put people in a box that you'll never let them out of. Now, that doesn't mean you just ignore what they did. Got a young guy we had to do, do discipline with. He didn't want the discipline. He took off. He comes back. He wants to start right back where he was before. And I said, no, you left discipline. Repentance will go through the discipline. Well, that was four years ago. Yeah, it was. You were a young guy. But... There is a pathway. I'm not here to make it easy for you. I'm here to challenge you and, and make sure that you go grow through it. 
You don't give people positions without helping to build their character. Sometimes when they get into that position, they fail for a time. That, that, that doesn't mean you mark them off the list forever. It means at this point, at this time where they're at, that wasn't the right fit. And you, you still love them and care for them because they're not just a tool. They're a part of the family of God. That's, that's the thing you've got to remember. Um, be careful what you do with another man's son. I remember my son was getting hired by a guy in my life group, and he was uh, just a flake. And I said, hey, I really appreciate that you want to give my son a try. But don't, don't let him get a pass. That's not really helping him be a man. If, he, if you need to fire him, fire him. But if you have to fire him, don't destroy him. Remember, he's my kid, and I love him. Do what you got to do, but don't destroy him. And in the same way, remember that the people that you work with have a heavenly father. Be careful what you do with another man's son. You're not helping when you enable. Hard things have to be done, but God's heart is always to bring them back to him at some point. Even if it means they're the prodigal son, he waits for them to return. We have to see people as God's kids. And we have to have discipline at times, but it's based on love. And if they blew it, then we're like, well, for right now, and until you prove, it depends on the, the level of blowing it, right? I mean, you know, there's some things that you're right, will exclude you from certain things. But think in terms of John Mark. He, he blew it. Barnabas did with John Mark what he did with uh, Paul. Paul didn't remember that. Right? Yeah. And over time, John Mark, Paul says at the end of his life, send Mark to me. He's of great use. Somebody invested in him. There is a time to cut ties, but not as though they aren't valuable or, or matter to God, even though you might be angry or hurt by what they did. I have people in my life that I've had to go, okay, at this stage of the game, we can't walk together. But I can't dismiss the fact that they belong to God, and at some point, our paths may cross, and I have to be open to that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I'll just add into this. Um, I just had to, six months ago, let a, a, a guy go that had been in our Oregon church for 14 years. Uh, and leaders before me uh, all wanted to fire, talk bad about him behind his back. I mean, uh, he's not here. The whole organization was anti him, right? So I inherit, you know, I'm now the lead pastor. And I'd say this. Um, Another sport analogy, right? Where we all go there. Um, coach high school football. And what you coach a defensive back to do is to play uh, to the absolute end of the play. So that ball is there. You might be beat. You keep playing, playing, playing until that official blows a whistle, right? Um, and I say it's true with your staff. You disciple all the way through. And so I just stepped in and discipled this guy all the way to the end. To a point, he looks at me and says, uh, God wants me to lead this organization, doesn't he? I said, I think he does. Uh, and, and I would say it's one of these little, you know, you get these little pastor merit badges from all your staff. It's a pastor merit badge because they couldn't believe it because he was such a problem. And he walked out willingly because he grew in Christ because I discipled him all the way through. Jesus says some really challenging things like he who puts his hand in the plow and turns away is not worthy. And yet, Peter, the highest level of denial, there's redemption on the other side of that. So, to what these guys are saying, when you're tempted to character assassinate them in your mind to make it easier weight for you to carry, 
taught you that. Believe in redemption may not be with you, maybe with the next progression, the next church, next place. All right, next question. How do you go about uh, selecting the person that you're going to engage in the discipleship relationship uh, in this pathway? I mean, uh, so it, it's all different kinds of ways. So if I lead a guy to Christ, I'm, I'm going to start discipling. Uh, if, if uh, you know, one of the guys just not too long ago uh, came to me after, because we're uh, in our men's study, and the, the speaker was talking about mentorship, and so he came up after and said, hey, would you, would you please mentor me? And I said, well, let's sit down and talk what you think mentorship means, because... I, have, I mean, I can come alongside and provide mentorship, but I'm more interested in discipleship. And so, so helping understand what the difference of, of that and what are you, what exactly are you looking for? Um, there's people that I'll see. There's we have a one of the other guys I'm discipling, a super strong leader. Eventually, I think he'll be one of our elders. Uh, and so I asked him. I said, "Tell me, have you been, has anybody personally discipled you?" And he said, "No." I said, well, I want you to pray about something, uh, and we'll sit down and talk about what the expectations are in this relationship. But uh, if you're interested in being personally discipled and making the time for it, uh, I'd love to come alongside you and disciple you. And so, you know, so it happens all different because you get lots and lots of people. Potentially, you might get lots of people that ask you. You can't disciple everybody, but we've we've raised up enough disciple makers that we're constantly trying to help people say, hey, I think somebody I you know that I know that. Would, be great for you or whatever it might be so for us it's, it's really being led by the spirit um, to because I can't say yes to everybody but there's people I will seek out and there's people that come that I feel like uh, that, that that resonates with me that I'm gonna you know I'm gonna disciple them and or if I've led that person to Christ and I feel like I have a responsibility to come alongside and start discipling yes I would say um, two things one is that if you have kids that's the natural place for you to start. It's it's commanded of us to disciple our kids, to raise our kids in the, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? So you start in your home. Then beyond that, for me right now, I'm in a season of my life where um, I want to be discipling next level leaders. So I'm probably not discipling just regular Joe Schmo in my church. Like I want to be looking intentionally for who are those guys who are going to be potential staff, potential elders, who are going to be guys that we're raising up into some different higher level leadership within our church that I want to invest in them on that level. We've coached our other people in our church to be discipling everybody across the board. But I think I'm kind of just at a stage right now in my, my ministry where it's going. As the Spirit of God, as I pray and ask God to just show me who He wants me to be involved in their life, it's, it's typically with that idea of who are going to be next level leaders in our, our ministry. So I have two different groups, a Wednesday morning group where the guys from my life group come, and then I invite other guys to come from that. And what ends up happening there is uh, guys that will show up at 7 a.m., and then I have to uh, break uh, that group into groups. So like right now, I've got three guys that are in that group that are becoming leadership oriented minded guys and so now we come together for a few minutes and I break into three groups in the, in the room so now I'm already having them step in and then my Thursday group is a group where I invite some guys that I think have leadership potential for next next level and by the way Mark was in that 15 16 17 years ago and so about uh, I think about eight of our staff 
came through that Thursday afternoon group. But I want you to think about this. Sometimes uh, in your life group, let's say I have a life group mixed company, I have the men's group. One of the mistakes we make is we think if I'm the center of the group, let's say, I'm the leader and I've got the guys around me, it's like every arrow points to me for every one of these guys. That, that's not what I'm doing. I'm facilitating discipleship. I'm pointing this guy to that guy. I'm pointing that, that woman to that woman. I'm asking them to start connecting and the one who's the more mature, I'm asking them to take a step of leading that person. So if I've got a woman, older woman, and, and who's got a stable marriage, and this younger woman's coming to our group, I don't go, my wife's going to disciple all these women. I try to create a discipleship and shepherding culture where I am promoting, I'm facilitating the activity. Does that make sense to you? Because I can't leave the church and disciple every one of these individually. And if that guy's, that woman's struggling with their marriage and that's an older woman, I'm going to ask that older woman to step into that role with her. Well, what would you do with her? Well, um, here's, a, here's a good book on women's mentoring. I want you to, and, and then I'll, I'll check with you back, or my wife will check back with you on it. Um, you know, with the guys, you've seen me do this. Let's walk through what this looks like. So I'll have a 15-minute conversation about, I want you to meet with that guy in his marriage. Here's the sphere that I want you to focus on him in. And then I'll debrief with him afterwards. But I'm facilitating the activity. It's not me-centered. And each of those people that step into that role, they start calling each other. I'll, I'll start it out this way. Hey, who's not here today? And there'll be like three or four guys not here. Who, who at least knows them well enough? As a number, I want you to call and say, hey, we missed you. I'm facilitating crossways activity all the time. Does that make sense to you? That's that intentionality part. Yep. You're talking about finding and discipling other leaders. How do you do that if you've never been discipled yourself? <laughs> well, let me just say this. That's about 90% of people. And uh, I would go through, I would do what I had to do. I'd go to the DS1 and learn what a small group looks like. I'd read the material. And then here's the truth, guys. you got to step out and be willing to make mistakes and go, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to read as much as I can read, and then I'm going to step out in faith. Because the truth of the matter is, most everybody in your church were never disciple. And if you're willing to get out and go, Hey, I've never done this before. I'm, will, you be my, will you be my little uh, guinea pig? Let's do this together. Let's be each other's guinea pig. I'm going to step in and I'm going to start doing this. Right? There's stuff that will get you started, but it takes courage. And I wish I could say I learned what I learned by doing it right the first time. Most of what I know, I know because of the scars, the bruises, the, yeah, I don't think I would do that again. But again... Going to, like in wrestling, here's the thing you know. doesn't matter how many state championships you won, how many national championships, all that stuff. You never have a perfect practice. You're going to get banged up. You're going to get taken down. You're going to get, and you're not a failure because you were. You're only a failure if you quit. You see what I'm saying? And so getting out and trying it 
ask the questions, doing these kind of things will help. But it's sooner or later, you got to go across that line, step out, and, and give it a shot and go, hey, you know, we're going to learn together. I'm going to try this. And, and at the end of this, I'm just making it real clear. This isn't so we're best friends for the rest of our life. We're going to be friends forever. But I'm doing this with the intentionality of you're going to be able to do this with somebody else. So let's learn this together. I think if you can tell me name. Jay. Jay. Jay, when I became a parent, I decided that I was going to be an expert at being wrong. I decided that I wasn't going to carry the burden that I had been bottled, which was my mom, she was never wrong. I was always wrong. It was like brutal. You know, I was like, I'm going to break that. So with my son Noah, who's my oldest, if, if I made a mistake with him, and I'll put you in his spot, I would say, Jay, what I did right there was wrong. That wasn't a representation of Christ. That was my own frustration. I don't want you to map that over or take that or model that or think that, that was God's heart for you. Like, here's what it would have been if it was the right thing, and here's how where I can do that. And, and, man, be, but I, and I adapted that for my leadership stuff as an executive pastor and for whatever that is. And so being really good at being wrong and making mistakes gives you permission to try all kinds of stuff because you can be honest with it, and then it gives them permission to, to follow that down. And, and I started that journey by saying, I, you know, I was kicked out of my house at 14 and on my own early on. I was like, what, what, did I, what did I want? What did I miss? What was not there? You know, and you combine that with the spirit and the truth of how Jesus did things, and it'll get you there. Yeah. Mind if I jump in? Because I was in that I, uh, transformation and understanding Jesus' method of making disciples and that call hit me 18 years into my ministry. And so I was in a beautiful way wrecked. And I knew at that point I would never do it any different. But it's never been done to me. I didn't know what to do. I don't know if you know this story. Um, and so um, I read uh, uh, Jim's book, and that's what God used to get me there. Um, so I called there uh, to Real Life Ministries. Uh, I had a relative that was on staff. And so uh, what I ended up doing is I, you know, I wouldn't be denied. And so uh, I found, I said, who's in? one of the best disciple makers. And somebody said, wow, there's a story behind this. So I'm not gonna tell you the story, but a guy named Kevin Howard. Um, and uh, I said, can I get his number? So I called this guy I never met in my life, Kevin Howard. And uh, uh, I said, I read this, uh, you know, and more important, I read scripture. You know, I, you know, I love this guy, what he'll do is he'll point to scripture. Hopefully you're picking that up here. This isn't some, you know, Check uh, discipleship program. It's what Jesus did, right? And and that's all I want, right? And so as I got that space, uh, I got a hold of me and says, "Okay." He goes, "I said, will you disciple me?" And he said, "Yes." And so he called me, and he's generous. He called me twice a week, and we on the phone, you know, before Zoom, I, I, it might have existed, but it was just a phone call. Uh, twice a week, three hours, he poured into me, poured into me, poured into me, and then a church that. Actually, I'll come to session four. I'll talk about this. Uh, that did not do this discipleship. Um, in fact, the senior pastor stiffed on it. I was able to grow as a disciple, see it modeled to me, see it done to me, and then begin to disciple people. So, uh, uh, if, if Jesus says go, uh, you know, knock and the door will be open. All right, guys, we're coming up on the time right now. So if there's more questions, in the room, we're going to hang back. We'll be here to, to visit with you. We're going to offer you guys taking a break. Uh, the guys that you see up here are our coaches. So when you join and begin to get into a coaching group, 
The intention is to be able to answer these questions in live settings as you're unfolding them, as you're walking through them. We have a curriculum, but that's only a very small part of what's important. It's the questions you don't even know how to ask yet because you're not in that context. You know, and so getting into the group and journeying with these guys, and there's typically four or five guys in the coaching group, and these guys are going to walk that through with you. So I unabashedly believe in our mission, and I hope every single one of you joins the RDN and gets connected with a coach that takes this journey with us. So the next step, stuff is on your table. Uh, take a picture of the, of the screen, come back and visit with us the next few times. And anybody with a red lanyard is part of the network, and we'd be happy to visit with you guys in the room. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a great break. Thanks so much for listening. Up next, we've got more from RDN. So make sure you stay tuned for that. You're going to be hearing more from Jim, Bob, Joel, and Mark. The next episode is about generational change. If you haven't clicked subscribe yet to this podcast, I encourage you to do so. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a like or a review or a comment, that would be just absolutely fantastic. All right, y'all, thanks for listening, and I hope to catch you on the next episode. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.